the pandemic definitely accelerated it and helped people realize that we can't continue as normal we have to to do things and we have to act in a way that is considerate for everyone in our society welcome to sheo.world podcast where you'll meet women and non-binary folks who are transforming the world to be more equitable and sustainable Well, I'm really pleased to meet you both today. My name is Hannah Senior. I am normally the host of the Innovating AgTech podcast and the Plant Breeding Stories podcast, but I'm also a UK-based CEO activator. And so today I'm really delighted to be here to talk to one of the new ventures that has been selected this year, Supply Change. And I'm with the founders, Beth and Isha. So um, let's just kick things off. Would you like to introduce yourselves? Beth, perhaps you'd like to go first. Sure. Um, Hi, I'm Beth. I'm one of the co-founders of Supply Change, which is a social enterprise that connects buyers looking for goods and services with social enterprises that can deliver uh, quality, but also a positive impact to the communities they operate in. Um, My role in Supply Change is focused on sales um, and business development, so I manage the relationships with the buyers that we engage with. Thanks, Hannah. Yeah, my name is Isha. Um, I'm also a co-founder of Supply Change. Um, whilst Beth deals with the buyer side of things, I um, spend all my time working on the supplier community. And we have a whole bunch of suppliers that do all sorts of things from marketing to painting and decorating to uh, tea and coffee um, and just building up that community uh, to work with buyers to deliver more impact through their spend. Excellent. Okay, well, thank you. That's got us started. And I know, Beth, you gave us a little overview, well, you've both given us a little overview of um, what supply change does. But but as I understand it, in a nutshell, you're connecting buyers of goods and services to social enterprise suppliers. So is that correct? And if yes, tell me a bit about how that came about. Yep. So yes, that is correct. The idea for supply change came about um, because of a project that myself and Isha worked on Uh, three years ago uh, when we were doing a postgraduate course called Year Here. On that course, we worked on a project for housing association um, in the UK that wanted to understand how they could deliver more impact through their supply chain. And they wanted to work with more social enterprise suppliers. Um, So we did a big piece of research around what the opportunity was for social enterprises to deliver both public sector and private sector contracts um, and where where were the opportunities for them to do this but also what was stopping them from being able to do this more and what we realized was there was a gap in the market for an organization like us that could help bring together buyers who wanted to deliver impact through their supply chain but needed to find social enterprises to do that for them Um, and social enterprises who wanted to win more work and scale the impact that they were having, but were having problems accessing contracts of these large buyers. So that's what gave us the idea for supply change. And that's kind of where we started our journey. So are you especially focused on government procurement or do you also work with connecting suppliers to, for example, big blue chip companies that are looking for goods and services? Yeah, we have a whole host of different types of buyers from both the private and public sector. 
Um, within the, the private sector, we've worked with banks and professional services, law firms, um, construction companies as well. Um, and within the public sector, we've worked with organisations like housing associations, um, local authorities and all sorts. And, and sometimes we even do matching where social enterprises want to buy from social enterprises, which gets a bit meta <laughs> because there's a whole host, you know, there's so much impact that can be created from just that as well. Um, so we just generally work with any organisation um, that want to create impact from their spend and they buy from other B2B organisations as well. So is the key problem one of visibility? Is it is it that they just can't, these organisations can't find suppliers that are also aiming to have impact alongside supplying services? Or is it a, a deeper issue than that? Could you just expand on that for me? Sure. Um, it's a great question. It's actually a multifaceted problem, really. Um, there's lots of factors at play. Um, when it comes to social enterprises accessing contracts. Um, sometimes public sector and private sector contracts themselves are quite large um, and some social enterprises aren't at the right scale to be able to deliver those. So that's why it's really important to have capacity building support for the social enterprise sector to help them scale. Um, and sometimes, uh, particularly in the public sector, procurement processes um, and portals are often very lengthy and difficult for suppliers to navigate. And when you're a small social enterprise, that can be quite time consuming and you can often find it hard to compete alongside larger commercial suppliers who might have whole teams dedicated to bid writing. But definitely one of the key factors that came up in our research was this issue of visibility. Often public sector and private sector buyers, when they're tendering for goods and services, they might only go out to suppliers that they already know or have worked with in the past for kind of small to medium sized opportunities, which would actually be perfect for social enterprises to deliver. So these opportunities aren't getting advertised and social enterprises aren't finding out about them. And procurement teams similarly want to work with social enterprises, but they don't have the time to spend um, kind of doing internet research to try and find them and also they want to make sure that the suppliers that they do work with meet the kind of standards um, and quality that they require as a business um, so that's why at supply change we created our platform because um, it allows buyers to find social enterprise suppliers in one place and all the suppliers that have joined the supply change platform have been through a due diligence process by our team which means that we vet all the social enterprises signing up to the platform to check that they are contract ready and suitable to engage with buyers. So for social enterprises, the platform gives them a place to be visible to buyers who are using our platform um, without having to fill in a very long, complicated application forms. And for buyers, um, the platform is a go-to place to find social enterprises that they know they can trust. So we're improving visibility, um, but also helping social enterprises to show their credentials to buyers and also helping to mitigate risk for buyers as well. So actually, you've just touched on something that I was going to ask you. So Ishi, you might fill, fill out a little bit more about this. I was going to ask, how do you describe social enterprises number one you know what what are your criteria and then second to that how do you audit or vet them so Isha that might be a question those two might be questions for you yeah I guess kind of ties into what Beth was saying because 
I guess why we have a we have a solution and um, although it's kind of uh, fitting some of the the gaps and barriers in the market there are still some barriers that exist that are out of our control so just to feed into what Beth was saying I think social finance is a huge barrier for social enterprises to scale and that is required that to a, a level or a size that is required by by a demand um, and, and the definition of social enterprise comes into this because we have maybe created too tight a definition here in the UK anyway um, of what counts as a social enterprise. And unfortunately, the investment market isn't really uh, able to meet us halfway or meet us at that definition, at least. So, for example, in the UK, the way they define social enterprises uh, although there is no legal definition, the kind of more accepted sector-wide uh, known definition is that social enterprises have a 51% either profit or asset lock. So all their kind of profits or assets need to be destined towards their social mission. Their primary purpose is a social mission, um, and that's as specified in their objects and their articles of association. And then finally, they're, they're trading. The majority of their income needs to come from trading. And the way that we kind of work out is that we we want to give everyone at whatever stage they are of reinvestment, um, or whatever stage they are in their social journey, um, an opportunity to uh, benefit from social procurement. Um, so we just ask um, from the outset that every supplier has a mission lock in their articles of association so that their existence is primarily um, one of purpose and social impact. And then we leave it up to our buyers. So we allow our buyers to choose whether they require a mission lock, um, whether they require an asset or a profit lock, um, whether they require things like B Corp accreditation, whether they are a registered cooperative, uh, whether they are led by women or whether they are AIM led. Um, so we allow our buyers to um, make that final decision. But from the very beginning, we just make sure that everyone that comes onto our platform has a, has a mission lock in their social um, in the articles of association. But we also check other things um, that might be interesting to our buyers. Um, and this is some stuff that we identified during our research, things like um, trade specific uh, accreditations or certificates and um, references, uh, financial history, insurance documents, things like their impact statements, things that we knew that buyers uh, were looking for that we found out during our research. Uh, so it's a whole, yeah, whole host of different things. Um, but as Beth mentioned, we only gather that once. Uh, so the barrier isn't too high for, for social enterprises who want to join. So your definition is broader than the official definition, but you allow the, the buyers on the platform to, to make the final decision about where they draw that line. And it sounds like you work quite closely with your suppliers to make sure that they're ready to bid for opportunities as they come up. Could you just go into a bit more detail on that? Like how long does that take and what does that look like in practice? Yeah, so we do work really closely with our social enterprises. And I guess I mentioned before that we don't want to create this um, exclusive club where only really big, successful social enterprises can join and, and get put in front of different buyers. This is a 
place of um, capacity building and a, and a place of opportunity for all social enterprises that serve B2B. So when they come on, on board with us, they could be a sole trader, they could be a massive 300 person company um, operating across the whole of the UK. But what we want to make sure is that everyone is given that opportunity to get in front of our buyers. And um, even through onboarding with us, there's an element of capacity building. Um, so it's kind of our onboarding form is, is quite like a checklist of, of getting kind of buyer ready or procurement ready. Um, and through onboarding with us, um, we can work with social enterprises uh, to meet those requirements and those necessities to become ready to work with buyers. But yeah, and we also do other capacity building things as well. We've worked with a whole host of organizations and sharing knowledge about how um, businesses, social businesses can become procurement ready for both the private and public sector. And we also do, um, we do events kind of learning, which also have an element of learning as well, as, as well as networking. Uh, so yeah, throughout our kind of journey that suppliers have with us, there is always an uh, element of capacity building. I suppose I've got my cynical hat on here for a moment, um, which is that in my experience, large organisations often talk the talk, but when it comes down to brass tacks, actually what they want is price. So do you find that, you know, how, how often do you find that you engage with buyers who say that they're looking to support social enterprises when it comes down to it, actually, it's, it's all about price or do other things genuinely end up? being priorities? It's a great question and definitely one that we have had to deal with um, since founding supply change. It can really vary um, buyer to buyer and what sector they're operating in. But of course, um, people who work in procurement teams at the end of the day, uh, their role is to secure goods and services for the organization and often within a set budget. So cost is never far from their mind. What I like to uh, discuss with buyers when the issue of price comes up is the added value that you're paying for with social enterprises. So, for example, if you are a local authority and you decide to use um, a waste management social enterprise uh, firm that deliver their impact through employing ex-offenders, um, it might be that that social enterprise uh, deliver that service at a slightly higher cost in order to cover um, their operational costs from training um, and rehabilitating ex-offenders. However, what that means in the long term is that those ex-offenders have been provided with employment opportunities, um, a route to an independent life, and are much less likely to re-offend um, and therefore be using uh, services within that local authority um, that will have to be paid for by that local authority. So, yes, they might be more expensive in the short term, but actually the added social value that they are delivering will benefit that local authority much, much more in the longer term, had, rather than if they just used a straightforward commercial waste management company. But the other thing is that often it can be a bit of a myth that social enterprises are more expensive. And in fact, we've often found that many of our suppliers are able to compete alongside commercial businesses um, and offer pricing that is in line with the rest of the market. So I think sometimes it's a story that gets told um, and is not always always the case. But I think that buyers need to look at their supply chain overall when considering social procurement. And if spending with a social enterprise in one area means kind of increasing your budget for that item, where can you look to save money elsewhere and try to be creative around your spend? And I think buyers who are really committed to social procurement do understand 
that in some cases it might involve a higher spend in some areas but if they are delivering that added social value or environmental value then actually that business is getting more of a return than if they were to just use a straightforward commercial supplier and um, so that's how we like to to frame it um, when it comes to the issue of cost but it's definitely not something that can be avoided when you are speaking to procurement teams for sure. When you're talking about those extra ways of adding value or the additional benefits of of purchasing goods and services through these social enterprises, presumably you also run into a question of measurement. How do you know? Can you prove that? Is that something you get engaged with? Yes. So we measure our own impact and also provide impact reports for clients who use our platform. So the primary uh, measures that we use for our impact is the amount of spend redirected towards social enterprises. So what the value of a contract is that has gone towards a social enterprise supplier. And that is our direct impact. But the indirect impact is obviously what that supplier is then able to do um, as a result of winning that contract and where that money has helped support their business. So we ask the social enterprises um, that we managed to broker contracts for what that money has helped them to achieve. For example, how many jobs were created as a result of winning that contract? Or if it was, for example, an environmentally focused social enterprise, has that contract helped to reduce a certain amount of carbon emissions? Has it led to a certain amount of trees being planted? Um, we ask the social enterprises to provide us with that data, which we can then report back to clients. The world of impact measurement is uh, very complicated and quite a crowded space. um, And we try not to make it even more complicated by um, reinventing the wheel. And we try to keep it really simple and just explain, this is the amount of money that you've managed to switch to social suppliers. And this is what that money has created um, according to the social enterprises you've spent it with. Um, And we find that keeping it simple actually is kind of what the buyers want to hear and has more of an impact rather than trying to put complicated pounds and pence calculations towards impact, which always get a bit confusing in my personal opinion. Excellent. Okay, so I'm going to just take a slight change of direction. You described how you um, first came across this idea that led to supply change. Maybe you could tell me a bit about the journey from here's a good idea to where you are today you know how has that unfolded for you yeah I can jump in here so I guess after our kind of research project we as Beth explained knew that there was this kind of appetite for social enterprises or social businesses to work with um, organizations who are buying goods and services but yeah it's definitely been a long journey since we had that kind of light bulb moment right through to now <laughs> so the, the third part of the the course that we did was called a venture phase um, and it's kind of an eight-week phase to to really try out ideas and test ideas with different users um, and with peers. Uh, So we jumped into that and uh, then went into our first kind of crowdfunding opportunity. Um, And we were really successful. So we really, we really believed that we, you know, had traction. We were really excited by this idea. And then we we went out to raise funding. We initially raised funding to build our platform, um, which does that kind of matching between social enterprises and buyers. And we raised that funding and what was really interesting about this was that another co-founder that we that was part of our team at the time was a little bit quiet for a couple of a couple of months <laughs> and that was really that was 
really interesting because she came out after the three months and said I've, I've learned how to code so I'm going to build the platform myself and that was really great and it was really exciting because um, as, as you well know having tech expertise in, in your team is, is really brilliant and it's a, a great chance to be uh, really flexible um, with your product it's a, it's a great chance to save a lot of money as well um, so that was that was a real big part of our journey. And, and once we had the platform built, we then started selling it into buyers and, and getting uh, social enterprises to join the platform. Um, one thing that we came up against is that we had increasingly with more exposure to buyers realized that a lot of the assumptions that we had made either in our research or in our kind of user testing of the platform were not true. We assumed that buyers were ready for maybe um, a platform like this um, and that they could just jump straight in. But that's and that's absolutely fine that that wasn't the case. But how could we how could we change our direction to make sure that we were not just meeting the buyers that were well into their social procurement journey, um, but also meeting buyers where they were at, whether that be you know, really mature engagement with social enterprises, or they just found out about social enterprises yesterday, or even earlier, they don't even know what a social enterprise is. So that's why uh, we built out different services to accommodate for that. So we do a lot of kind of policy work to help buyers engage with social enterprises, building policies internally, and then rolling out those policies internally, um, how they can speak to their colleagues about social enterprises, you know, what is a social enterprise, why you should be passionate about social enterprise, um, how to engage with them, how to work with them. Um, we also run events because we also recognize that um, whilst there are so many processes out there for engaging with social enterprise, that sometimes social enterprise engagement and social enterprise procurement um, is built on relationships. So how can we get stakeholders into the room to build those relationships to lead to social procurement? Beth kind of touched on it really briefly, but we do something called a spend analysis as well, because we, we noticed buyers were coming to us and saying, um, I don't even know where to start. Like I have this massive supply chain and there's so much spending and we have so many suppliers. I don't even know where to start. So we worked with them to uh, look at their supply chain data, find out which bits would be what they might already be spending with VCSEs or social enterprises, find out where they're spending loads of money and, you know, which areas might be ripe for social enterprise engagement based on the market and based on their spend. And then, of course, we've got the platform, which now is looking, you know, looking at it from where it first began, I mean, we probably would never really show anyone what it looked like at the very beginning because it's become such a, a long way. We test a lot of our assumptions about what the platform should be and have made it a whole, a whole lot better as a result of that. And it's been a really long journey to, to come to where we are now. And we've had to definitely let go a lot of a lot of assumptions and a lot of thoughts that we thought were true. And we, at the beginning, were probably uh, plugging a bit too hard um, and not listening enough um, but I think once we started to listen and, and take on people's kind of feedback and the way that they were responding to our kind of goods and services where we are now and what we're meeting the market with now I think is a really good offer for everyone no matter where they're at. So what you're describing is quite interesting it's not just the matching function there is this enormous amount of education on both sides that's really important to make this work. And I think I perhaps initially underestimated that when, when I was learning about what supply change does. So tell me about how you have funded your growth so far. How have you managed to get to the stage you're at? Plus, 
perhaps you could talk a little bit about your revenue model. Do you, do you charge a percentage? Is it an access fee? You know, could you connect those dots for us? So we've received lots of different types of funding over the years, actually. Um, we've kind of tried a bit of everything. As Isha mentioned, when we first um, launched, we were lucky to go to a crowdfunding event and got some initial seed funding um, from friends and family and the wider Year Here network. We were then really lucky to receive um, equity investment from Orbit Housing, who uh, were actually the housing association that we did our first research project. They, in a sense, helped to incubate us um, and invested in us. And we also um, did a programme here in the UK called the Beyond Business Programme, um, which is run by uh, a bank, Investec, um, and an amazing centre called the Bromley by Bow Centre in East London, who also gave us some um, equity funding and mentoring. And that really helped us put us through our first year when we were developing the platform um, and not really able to trade yet. And we've also received some grant funding from the Paul Hamlin Foundation, and we've taken on um, repayable finance as well, which was really helpful during um, the first part of the pandemic, when obviously, like many small businesses, our sales suffered. Um, so we've been quite flexible with the types of funding that we've taken on, and we're also hoping to raise further investment this year to help us kind of take that next step and scale up further. In terms of our business model, um, we have a number of different revenue streams to match the kind of different activities that we do. Um, so the platform itself is a subscription model. So buyers pay an annual license fee to access the platform, um, which is renewed every year, but it's free for suppliers to join at the moment. Our uh, kind of wraparound support services like our spend analysis um, and our events are charged separately. Um, based on um, the kind of the bespoke nature of that work and um, we kind of base it around a kind of rough um, day rate for our services um, so we make money from those services separately and then we also um, have another platform called the dynamic purchasing system which is something that we have developed with Orbit in partnership with them which is aimed at our public sector clients um, and that is a completely public sector compliant purchasing system where public sector buyers can go and find social enterprise suppliers for their goods and services and they know they're doing that within public sector legislation in the UK and we help to um, vet the suppliers joining that in the same way that we vet suppliers joining our platform. And for that, we take a commission fee from any of the contracts um, brokered through the dynamic purchasing system. And this is actually a model that we hope to um, build more on in the future. Um, and we hope to eventually integrate our dynamic purchasing system and our platform and make sure that we are taking a commission against any contracts that we're brokering, um, because it's a much more scalable business model for us going forward and will allow us to grow even quicker. And it means that we um, aren't kind of relying on a kind of flat fee subscription service from buyers every year. It gives us more room for growth. So that's kind of our model at the moment. So a mixture of kind of standalone services, um, annual license and commission, um, which I think probably because we're a new business is a reflection of the fact that we're trying lots of different things out. And I think our strategy for the next few years is to really um, focus on our scalable products and make sure that we're kind of moving towards sustainability as much as possible. But we're quite proud that um, in the last year, the majority of our income has been from trade. Um, so that's something that um, we're really proud of, um, considering that the couple, last couple of years that we've all had. 
So this feels like a good moment to transition to asking some questions about how SHEO fits in. Um, what made you decide to apply to become a SHEO venture? And how are you hoping that being a venture will benefit supply change? So the reason we applied for a studio, well, there was, I guess, two kind of factors to it. The first and probably the most important is that as a, as a small team, having a wider network of, of people that have gone through uh, something similar uh, to us, um, such as growing a business and a purposeful business, is so valuable to us. And the community we had heard um, through our networks is, is a really supportive one. Um, we've just been part of that community for the last two months now, uh, three months. Um, and without a doubt, we can we can say how supportive and forthcoming and inclusive the CEO community have been. Um, we've been offered help numerous times, probably more times than we have in the last <laughs> in the last year alone. Um, so I think one of the main reasons why we wanted to apply for Shudio was to be part of that community um, and to to benefit from from all that the generosity of activators and um, and the ventures. And also in to return that we wanted to also provide our kind of expertise around B two B procurement and social procurement. Um, and our experience of growing a social business too, in whatever way that was helpful. And then secondly, we we really wanted to get funding as well to, to grow different aspects of our business, but predominantly, um, as Beth was kind of mentioning, the more scalable parts, particularly the DPS, the dynamic purchasing system and our platform. Um, and we're hoping that funding brought in through, through Shio will be able to, to grow those parts of our business. You just said it's early days for being um, part of the CEO network, but can you give us maybe a specific example of how the community has come through for you or a way in which being part of the CEO world has benefited supply change? Sure. So just last week, um, I met um, our venture activator circle, which is a group of activators who have specifically volunteered to kind of help supply change through this journey. Um, so I had a call with the amazing activators who've volunteered to, to help us and already within kind of 20 minutes of the call they were brainstorming strategic partners um, that we could get in touch with to help expand our sales in the UK and uh, offering to make introductions um, and putting a date in for a brainstorm to kind of do a stakeholder mapping exercise with us where we map out who within certain sectors in the UK we could potentially approach to widen our client base which for me, particularly um, as someone who's working on sales and business development in the business and a lot of the time on my own, it's just hugely helpful to have an extra pair of hands um, to help me do those things because um, often I don't get the time to really sit down and do those things. And having people who are so generous with their time and seem to really understand your mission and genuinely want to support you is just really, really um, inspiring, um, but also really reassuring as well and yeah I think we just feel very grateful and, and lucky to be surrounded by people who seem to be just so willing to support and help us. One of the things we like to give you the opportunity to do is to bring forth an ask if you have one um, of the Shio community so is there anything that you would like to use this moment to ask for? Well, I guess one thing I can ask for, and maybe Beth, you can add as well. We, as Beth mentioned, are going to raise this year. Um, and I think we've already got 
some support on the more kind of logistics and uh, administrative side of what it takes to raise. Um, but I guess calling on that community side of CEO, if, if anyone knows anyone that's particularly interested in systems change and changing the, the landscape of, of procurement and uh, supporting social enterprises through trade, we'd be super interested to, to chat with them. Um, and see and tell them more about our mission and see how we can potentially create more impact with their kind of financial help and perhaps Beth I don't know if you've got an ask yeah I guess just if anyone's listening to this and they themselves work for an organization who they think would be interested in creating impact through their spend um, to get in touch with us or if you have an idea of an organization that we should be working with um, we're particularly looking to expand our work in the kind of financial and professional services sector in the UK. So if you're out there thinking my company needs to do stuff like this and work with supply change, then please um, get in touch with us. And just to be clear, any kind of organisation that's seeking to procure goods or services could could come through supply change if they if they wanted to, could they? Yeah, anyone that has a supply chain can can work with social enterprises. <laughs> Excellent. Tell me a bit about your plans for the future then. What does the future look like? You mentioned a raise. That's that's one big thing that's coming up. Anything else that you want to share? Yeah, I think, well, as Beth kind of mentioned previously, um, we, we're really excited to build some of our products that we've put out there and gathered a lot of learning about. So although we've um, been tinkering with the uh, with the, the platform, I think there's a lot more that can be improved with that. And we're really excited to, to build that um, out even further based on uh, the increased amount of feedback we've had because of more people joining it. And also the dynamic purchasing system, it's a huge opportunity for us to, and a huge offer for us to generate more impact through public sector spend. I think what's really interesting and exciting about the dynamic purchasing system is that we're kind of meeting the buyers where they're, where they're at. And this is, a, it's a real kind of procurement mechanism um, that they, they really like because it is compliant and it's um, what they're used to working with. So it's really exciting for us that we can bring a product to, to them that, that they really love and they're really happy to engage with. Um, but what's also really exciting about it is that it's it's really scalable across geographies, um, across different um, trades uh, of goods and services. So that's a really exciting thing. So we're really focusing on our kind of product side this year, which is a really exciting part. Yeah, and I guess longer term, um, we have a kind of five-year goal of redirecting 20 million towards social enterprises. Um, it's quite ambitious, but we've nearly done half a million. So um, we believe we can get there. And really, we just want to be known as, I guess, the, the leaders in social procurement support um, in the UK and hopefully contribute to an environment where social procurement is the norm and is not a kind of a nice to have. So my sense is that social procurement is something that's growing in importance. Um, is, that, is that your experience? 
Yeah, definitely. There's a couple of things that have led to um, a growth in appetite for companies, um, whether you know public sector organisations or private sector companies, to engage with social enterprises. Um, I think the pandemic has been a huge driving force. Um, we saw at the beginning of the pandemic, even on an individual level, uh, we were starting to think about our relationship with our communities, with our local communities. We were starting to realise the vast inequalities that existed in our world um, right on our doorstep and also further afield um, in terms of geographies, the kind of inequalities that existed. So on an individual level, we started to, to care more and, and to think more about our effect on, um, on other people. And that definitely fed up. We, we saw that was happening to employees on an individual basis. And then employers were having to think about it. Um, and they knew that they couldn't just continue on the same in the same kind of form of their normal CSR activities. They needed to go beyond those. It wasn't just now about cake sales and charity uh, kind of quizzes. They had to think, how can we embed our social value, our social impact ambitions in our day-to-day -day operations? How can we make sure that we, as an organization, are going above and beyond to support the communities that we're operating in. And that's why social procurement became a really um, important thing because there was this pressure from um, us as individuals, as employees, but also you know, customers as well of, of organizations, all sorts of stakeholders, even shareholders were thinking, you know, this we have to go above and beyond. We have to start thinking about our operations and how we can create impact from that. And then there's another, another kind of influence as well here in the UK um, the Social Value Act. There was a social value model that was introduced last year um, and that's generated a lot of importance on, on social procurement too um, specifically uh, those working with the public sector. Um, it's now requiring them to consider the social value of all contracts um, that are procured um, through uh, different government departments and public sector organizations. And so now that it's, it's kind of a legislative requirement as well, um, we're, we're seeing that there's a huge appetite, even more so growing for, for social, social procurement and generating impact from your spend. So it sounds like that's a good example of every cloud has a silver lining. Nobody would have chosen to go through the pandemic, but there's definitely been some positive outcomes as a consequence. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And we 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 see that that it is growing, and and I think it was when we were in, started in 2018, very much kind of at the start of this of this movement. I think the the pandemic definitely accelerated it um, and helped pe people realize that we can't continue as normal we have to to do things and we have to act in a way that is considerate for everyone in our society and a really great way that businesses can do that because they have these massive powerful and um, influential supply chains is is to use that for good it's been a really fascinating conversation thank you so much for sharing with us what great work supply chains you're doing it's been a real pleasure thank you hannah it was really nice to meet you thanks hannah Thank you for listening to the CEO.world podcast. Like, comment, subscribe, and share this podcast with your friends. We invite you to join a global community of radically generous women and non-binary folks at CEO.world.